Solomon asks for wisdom. Solomon made an alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and married his daughter. He brought her to the city of David until he finished building his palace in the temple of the Lord in the wall around Jerusalem. The people, however, were still sacrificing at the high places because a temple had not yet been built for the name of the Lord. Solomon showed his love for the Lord by walking according to the statutes of his father David, except that he offered sacrifices and burned incense on the high places. The king went to Gibeon to offer sacrifices, for that was the most important high place, and Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream, and God said, Ask for whatever you want, to get, want me to give you. Solomon answered, You have shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You have continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on his throne this very day. Now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David. But I am only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to him, Since you have asked for this and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment in, in administering justice, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both riches and honor, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. And if you walk in my ways and obey my statutes and commands, as David your father did, I will give you a long life. Then Solomon awoke, and he realized it had been a dream. He returned to Jerusalem, stood before the ark of the Lord's covenant, and sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. Then he gave a feast for all his court. This is the word of the Lord. What an interesting passage of scripture. Huh? When you were a child uh, like me, did you hear the stories of a genie that came out of a bottle? Remember those stories? Did you ever fantasize about what you would ask the genie if he came out of the bottle and said, what's your request? What would you tell him? I, I remember that. I remember dreaming about it. I think over the years, my requests changed. One year it was this, the next year it was that. It depended on where I was in life, what my circumstances were. Um, it depended on what, quite frankly, I wanted at the time. Or maybe the genie doesn't strike you. Maybe as a kid you grew up reading the comic books or black and white television. No, I know it wasn't black and white for all of you. Um, and you saw the superheroes. It might have been Superman or Batman or any number of the others that had special powers. And somebody asked you one time, what, what special power would you choose if you just had one? Did you ever have that question posed to you? I can remember that. That was a fascination because you wondered, what if I could just grab one of them, just one request, it could change my life. It sounds a little bit like this story, doesn't it? Well, except for some major differences, which we'll delve into. But before we take it to the genie level, let's remember the context, shall we? The context is this. 
You have a young man who's been appointed to be king over what would be the grandest kingship, not just in Israel, but in that area of the known world. He was young and he was inexperienced. And before this dream occurred, his father David called him into his bedroom. And on his deathbed, he delivered some, shall we say, wisdom to Solomon. Maybe it's better to just call it advice from dad. Because we don't want to suggest that everything that David told Solomon is what God would tell Solomon. And we certainly don't want to suggest that David's words were actually a mandate from what Solomon knew as the Torah. They were just David's words. And there may have been wisdom in them. I'll tell you what David said to his son Solomon. He said to him, my son, I want you to be strong and show yourself a man. I want you to prove to this nation and to everyone else that you're a man. And here's, among other things, what I want you to do. I want you to deal with some unfinished business on my behalf. And if you do, it'll be in your best interest. He says to him, Solomon, you remember Abner and Joab. You may also remember that Joab, my current general, murdered Abner, my former general, in cold blood. His blood is still on his hands in terms of guilt. Here's what I want you to do, Solomon, young boy. I want you to deal with Joab according to your wisdom, but I don't want you to let his gray hair go down to the grave. Okay, translation. Kill him your own way. There's one other thing David said, not really just one. There's another man that I think you need to deal with. It's Shimei. Shimei was one of those people who, when Absalom, your brother, my son, rebelled against me, he cursed me, called down curses upon me, and said, this is what happens to the house of David. This is what happens to the house of David who snatched the kingship from the house of Saul. In effect, what we know about that story is that David forgave him. After he was reestablished as the king, David forgave the man who cursed him and said, don't worry about it, it's forgiven. But really, not forgiven, according to David. Because David said, he's of the household of Saul. I want you to do the same to him. Kill him, my boy. Well, I should tell you this, if you can't remember the story, Solomon did. He killed both the man who was the general in David's army, Joab, and he killed Shimei, partially securing for himself safety in his own kingdom. But he went even further. 
What precedes this story as well is a time when Solomon and Adonijah, his brother, were waiting, in effect, for David the king to die. And Adonijah got the priest Abiathar together along with a group of people and said, let's crown me king instead of Solomon. And so Adonijah, with the blessing of Abiathar the priest, set up an elaborate ceremony to be crowned king of Israel. And Bathsheba goes into David and says, do you hear what's happening out there? They're crowning Adonijah king, and you promised me Solomon would be king. And David said he will be king, and very quickly gave orders, and Solomon was established as the king of the throne of Israel. And Adonijah pled for forgiveness and for his life. And Solomon said, not to worry, you'll be okay. After David dies, Adonijah requests a young woman as his wife, who's a virgin. That young woman happened to be the virgin who tended to David in his waning years. Adonijah came to Bathsheba and said, I want you to request to the king, my brother Solomon, that he give me this woman as his wife. And Bathsheba said, certainly I will request it for you. And she went into the king Solomon and made the request. And King Solomon said to her, are you kidding me? In effect, he just sealed his own death warrant. To request that woman is to request the kingship. It's that high of a threat. And he killed his own brother. Again, eliminating another threat to the throne. In addition to those three slayings, King Solomon banished, exiled Abiathar the priest who had attempted to establish the throne of Adonijah. All of that is the backdrop to this dream. I tell you that story not to endorse any of it. I'll let you work through the thorny issue of that. I tell you that story to say this. Imagine what King Solomon, this young king, is now trying to figure out. How do I negotiate my kingdom and make it grand? How do I make sure that this person's not going to bring me down? I've already killed three people in order to secure my throne. I've got to do something to advance this kingdom that I've been given. I'm absolutely... It's not in the text. I'm assuming. I am absolutely overwhelmed. I'm not even sure I got it right. Maybe my father David gave me advice that wasn't even wise. So God comes to him in a dream and he says, the kingdom is yours. Now what do you want, young man? Solomon, with all that stirring around in his mind and his heart, he says, I want one thing, God. I want wisdom. Who could blame him? If you were in those circumstances, isn't that what you'd want? Or let me put it differently, even if you were in those circumstances, would you have had the wisdom to ask for wisdom alone? Whatever Solomon's failings, and there were many of them, he himself was not always wise. At least at this point in his life, he had enough wisdom to ask for wisdom. 
Now, following all the episodes that I just described in Solomon's life, the securing of his kingdom internally, Solomon immediately reaches out to secure his kingdom externally. In effect, on this strip of land called Israel, looking towards the great sea and to the east and to the north and to the south, he says, the north I think is okay for now. The south I'm a little worried about, so I'll make an alliance. I'll go to Egypt and I'll make an alliance with Egypt. He makes an alliance, as they did in those days, by marrying the daughter of the king of Egypt, Pharaoh. Now, it goes two ways, both ways, I should say. The king of Egypt, Pharaoh, actually wanted to secure the protection that Solomon provided. There's some sense in which this arranged marriage actually was stating an unbelievable irony that now Israel was stronger than Egypt, who once held them captive. Solomon says, I'll marry Pharaoh's daughter, and he does. It's, of course, a political marriage, and there were about 700 more of those. Solomon secures all the area around him by political alliances. He's securing his kingdom. He's moving to be the greatest king ever. And in the midst of that, he says, I need wisdom. Or put it this way, as he did, Lord, I'm only a child. I'm so inexperienced, my greatest need is wisdom. Please give me wisdom. And God responds to him, as you know in the story, and he says, that's very wise of you, Solomon. (laughs) You asked for wisdom. And because you understood your need for wisdom, I'm going to give you everything else as well. I'll give you wisdom and all of this. Now, when we think of wisdom, we have to ask, what was it that Solomon was asking for? Maybe the best way to understand what Solomon was asking for was to find out later in his own words what he declared wisdom to be. And you see that primarily in the book of Proverbs, right? The Proverbs of Solomon. We're not going to go through all the Proverbs of Solomon, but I want to summarize in very, very short order what wisdom is in the book of Proverbs. Uh, First, I want to begin with a a summary that comes from a theologian that I think is, is wonderful. You've heard him quoted by me many times, Cornelius Plantinga Jr., in a book uh, about sin called A Breviary on Sin, The Way Things Are Not Supposed to Be, he states uh, late in the book concerning wisdom, he puts it this way. (laughs) He said, wisdom is the knowledge of God's world and the knack of fitting into it. I love that definition. You know why? Because... Even though it's implicit, if we listen carefully, it helps us to understand that knowledge and wisdom are two different things. Not apart from one another, but different. Knowledge, you see, is the raw material that wisdom uses to make decisions. If there's anything, my friends, anything that our world needs more, I can't imagine what it needs more than this. 
we have an explosion of information in our society. Teachers are viewed by a certain population, even students among them, as being irrelevant. Because they can find the information on their own. But information, you see, knowledge is not good enough. Knowledge is the raw material with which we use to create evil or create good. And wisdom is the governing tool that makes the application of knowledge good. So, this raw material called knowledge is governed by this thing called wisdom. And we begin to understand God's world and how to fit into it. An interesting thing, just a a brief overview of the entire book of Proverbs could be stated this way. In the book of Proverbs, the wise are always associated with the righteous. And fools are always associated with sinners. Put it another way, wisdom and righteousness come together. Foolishness and sin come together. And when you think of the opposite extremes and read backwards into what Solomon was asking for, he's basically saying, God, don't let me be a sinful fool. Please let me be a righteous, wise soul. And then I can govern this kingdom that you've given me. What a wonderful, noble request. Now the transition. You knew it was coming, right? We're leaving Solomon and we're asking about ourselves. Um, Suppose for a moment that when you leave today, You go home, and like me, you take a Sunday afternoon nap, and you have a dream, and God shows up. Oh, by the way, we wouldn't see it the way Solomon did, right? We don't come from the ancient world. Uh, We are sophisticated. Yeah, right. We're sophisticated. Dreams don't mean anything except muddledness and the mind working and whatever, the orange juice. But when Solomon had a dream... He considered it to be very, very important, as did all the ancients. So for a moment, consider your dream very important, and consider that your dream this afternoon is going to be God speaking to you and saying to you, and I'll use my name, Bob, I'm ready to give you anything. What do you want? How would you answer? I want to take a turn way ahead to the New Testament. I want to take you especially to the Gospel of Matthew, chapters 5 and 6. We're not going to read them all. You know them. And I'm going to remind you what those two chapters are all about. Jesus begins in chapter 5 by introducing on the Sermon on the Mount a thing called the Beatitudes. 
Remember those Beatitudes? As a matter of fact, the Beatitudes, they kind of turn the world upside down. What I mean by that is they turn our way of thinking upside down. Even religious people, they begin by words that are these, blessed are the poor in spirit, or one text says just plain the poor, because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those that mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because... Whoa, whoa, let's back up and read it one more time. Blessed, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and say things against you that are evil falsely all the time, everywhere, every day because of me. Rejoice in those circumstances, says Jesus, and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So you're not Solomon, right? But don't you want to be a part of the kingdom of heaven? I do. No, you're not the king of Israel, but you're a child of the king. And Jesus, with those words, invites you into the kingdom of heaven. In effect, stamping you with royalty. Now what would you ask of the king? If he said to you, ask me, what do you want? I'll give it to you. Let me read his words. He actually did. In chapter 6, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be open. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Curious, isn't it? So many thousands of years later, the same question is asked of us. Kingdom children. Now here's what we do. I know because I do it. Here's what we do. We immediately say to ourselves, oh man, what a promise. This is what I want. And isn't it more often the case than not that we ask for something material? Something great and glamorous? Suppose we take the template of Solomon 
and bring it into chapter 5 and 6 of Matthew and ask the question. Knowing full well that Jesus has just said, the rules are different, my friends. My kingdom is an entirely different kingdom. Those who mourn will be comforted. Blessed are you if you're poor because you're going to inherit the kingdom of God along with all those others who seem to be poor. Blessed are you in spite of all those things. Now, my friends, children of the kingdom, do you want to be a part of the kingdom of heaven? I just told you what it means to live as a part of the kingdom of heaven. What would you like? Now what do you ask? I have to tell you, I have never seen it this way before. It wasn't until reading this story of Solomon that I looked at Matthew 5 and 6 again and said, how should I answer? And for the first time, I thought to myself, I should identify my greatest need as a child of the kingdom of heaven whose singular desire it is to advance the kingdom of heaven. Do you see the parallels to Solomon? It's not gimme, gimme, gimme. It's God, I need wisdom. I'm the king. So now... I say of Matthew 5 and 6, when God says, what do you want? Ask, you'll receive. Seek, you'll find. Knock, it will be open to you. I say to myself, what is my greatest need? Not what do I want. What's my greatest need? For the commission I've been given. No, not king of Israel. But citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Who's called with all his strength to advance that cause. What is my greatest need? That's what I ask for. I think my greatest need is multiple. And I think it may change. And I think the request is still open. What do you need, Bob? I'll give you exactly what you need. I ask you, as you think about your life of faith, what do you need? Wisdom's a good one, obviously. There could be so many other major issues, gigantic needs that you have. Is it patience? Is it kindness? Is it love? Is it forgiveness? What is your greatest need? God says to you, just as he said to Solomon, ask, I'll give it to you. You're a kingdom child prepared in advance to do good works to advance the kingdom of God. Ask me, and I'll give you what you need. Let's pray.
Lord, we uh, are so clouded with self, which is, in effect, to say clouded with sin, that when we ask, well, as the Scripture says, we, we probably don't ask properly. So, Lord, before we even ask, give us the wisdom we need to understand our greatest need. Turn our hearts towards you and away from self. Help us to think about advancing the kingdom of God rather than advancing the kingdom of self. And Lord, when that reorientation of the heart continues to take place, give us the wisdom and the courage to identify with your help, with the help of the Scriptures, with the help of those around us in community, what our greatest need is. And then, Lord, may we ask boldly. May we ask in faith, not doubting. Even when it seems that our greatest need has not been granted or satisfied, may we have faith that you will grant us exactly what we need. And as your word says, in that same section of Matthew, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all these other things will be added to you as well. We thank you, Lord, that we're in the hands of a loving Heavenly Father who knows our greatest need and asks us to ask of him. These things we thank you for and pray in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen.